As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, May 26th. On this episode, we'll discuss Keith's first mock draft of the season, dig into Bryce Miller's early success in Seattle, and talk about a couple recent debuts and promotions, including Bobby Miller joining the Dodgers rotation for the time being, and the Angels turning to Sam Bachman for bullpen help. I'm Steven Nesbitt. I'm joined by Keith Law. But before we jump in, I want to tell you about the New York Times audio a new iOS app for the New York Times news subscribers. It's got our show, plus other great podcasts from The Athletic, exclusive shows, narrated articles, and more. New York Times Audio. Download it now at nytimes.com slash audio app. I want to start with your first mock draft for 2023. Highly anticipated, Keith. It's mock draft season, right? That's the, This is sort of the backup uh, mock draft season. NFL gets a lot of the luster, but this is the one I've, this is the one I've been waiting on, Keith. Yeah, well, it's, it's the one I've been waiting on, too. I couldn't wait to see what I would write. <laughs> so I want to go through the top five here because five is a nice roundish uh, number, but also because it's the number of 1-1 caliber players we have in this draft. So you had uh, at one, the Pirates going with Dylan Cruz, outfielder out of LSU. Two, still out of LSU, go Tiger. Um, Nationals taking Paul Skeens, right-handed pitcher. At three, getting the high school class, the Tigers taking Max Clark out of Indiana. Four, the Rangers taking Walker Jenkins, outfielder out of North Carolina this time, uh, another high schooler. And at five, the Twins taking, taking Wyatt Lankford, outfielder from Florida, which t- tells you about the strength of this top five because Wyatt Lankford in any year could really be going 1-1, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at Lankford's stat line or, or if you look at a scouting report, you would think – if I just showed you that in complete isolation, I'm going to pull up his stats so I can actually quote them rather than just sort of hand-waving away. So as of right now, as we speak on Friday morning, he's got a 392 average, 519 on base, 807 slug, 16 homers in 50 games. He missed time because he fouled a ball off a rather sensitive portion of his anatomy um, and then was back in less than two weeks too, which is – means he's either really tough or completely out of his mind. Um, and he's walked more than he struck out, and he is a plus-plus runner. I mean, the only 
ding in Langford scouting report. We can go through as many of these guys as you want to, but the only ding in Langford scouting report is that despite all that speed, he's a left fielder and probably just a left fielder in the long term. But still, I mean, Spencer Torkelson went first overall, and he had even less of a defensive profile. Um, so, yeah, Langford and a ton of drafts. You, if I read you all everything I just said about him, you'd say, why isn't he the first pick? Oh, as it turns out, there's a couple of other guys who are also really, really talented this year. It's the most fun draft I've gotten to cover since, I think, 2011. Dylan Cruz has <clears throat> he has wrecked SEC pitching for three years now. OPS climbing each year from 1116 to 1153 to 1288 this season. That's a 421, 570, 718 triple slash, uh, way more walks than strikeouts. Um, I don't think he has the highest ceiling of this draft, but if we're wrong about his hit tool, I mean, like, I mean, I give up. What are we doing? Right? <laughs> right? If this guy doesn't at least hit because i don't think it's elite power his exit velocities are, are very good so it's not like there's something in the batted ball data that's making me say that and and obviously we've seen guys like alex bregman who's uh, who was very much hit first we'll see what the power is like and bregman isn't even uh bregman's even smaller than cruz is you watch cruz and i have got history with cruz going back to the first time i saw him he was a junior in high school he was against matt allen the guy the mets took who's now unfortunately had two tommy john surgeries and then Cruz was one of the last two players I saw before the world shut down in 2020. So that was his draft year. He was facing Zach Veen, who ended up a top 10 pick. But Cruz got off to kind of a rough start that spring. And then the world shut down. So he never got a chance to turn it around. Ended up taking his name out of the draft to go to LSU. Generally, I hate when players do that. I have to admit, in Cruz's case, I think it's worked out. All he's done is hit in the best conference in college baseball for three years. He's basically never stopped. He's never not hit. For the last three years uh, at LSU. It's not like he even had some kind of sophomore slump that you'd say, oh, well, you know, he had a little bit of a rough patch. No, Dylan Cruz has no idea what a rough patch is, at least not since he got to, to Baton Rouge. And so the reason I had him first in the mock, I mean, one is just that based on what I've taught, you know, people I've talked to, the Pirates aren't going to say what they're doing, but what people uh, with other teams think the Pirates are going to do, what I know of Ben, Char ben Charrington and Joe Delacari, what I know of their philosophy I think they're less inclined to take a high school player. I mean, they they had somebody there when I saw Max Clark a couple of weeks ago. So it's not like they're ignoring him. Uh, I would say, to me, it is by far the most likely to take a college position player. Small chance they take a high school position player. And extremely small chance they take Skeens, the one pitcher who they might be considering up there. And Cruz, to me, it's you've got to have a pretty compelling argument to not take him, right? Who's going to criticize you for taking a guy? You read the, you, you mentioned his OPS and the fact he's got tons more walks and strikeouts. He's doing it in the SEC. If you take that guy, and by the way, the scouts, you'll never find a scout who says, I don't think he's that good. It's not that. It's just a question of how good and how high is the ceiling? No one's ever going to question the Pirates if they just say, we're taking Dylan Cruz and giving him slot. Okay, sure. You know, he's the one of the best hitters in college baseball history. Great, great choice completely defensible. And I know it's not exactly how you draft. You don't draft for fear of criticism. But if you also pass on Dylan Cruz, there's a good chance he's in the majors for, you know, Washington pick second. I assume they'd just take him. Um, you know, he could be in the majors in a year or so. And it's like, why the hell didn't you take Dylan Cruz? That's not nothing. Those thoughts go through your mind as you're sitting in a draft room, especially if you're a team like the Pirates, who I think are clearly improving. They've played better this year. You're seeing some progress in the minors. But they're certainly not there yet. They've certainly got a ways to go. They need 
another win, so to speak. And I think taking Cruz is the easiest way to get that. And it's harder to craft the argument. Two years ago, when they took Henry Davis first overall, we didn't have a Dylan Cruz in the draft. And they were able to save enough money with Davis to get several other very talented players for over-slot deals with later picks. It was a different draft class. They had extra picks. And there wasn't this, you know, to me, clear 1-1 guy that there is in Cruz. So that's those are all the reasons. Put all of those together. That's why I said, in this mock at least, I'm going to project that they take Dylan Cruz. There are two things you've said this week that I think are both true, but may require a little bit of explaining. You just said that Paul Skeens is probably the least likely of the five for the Pirates to take. But I also think if he's there at number two, the Nationals take him in a heartbeat. Why why that differentiation for the Pirates where it would not be worth it for them at one to go with Skeens, but the Nats, it would be such a good fit for them? So that, that's where it comes to drafting philosophy. And, and I mean, there's one other thing, which is that the historical difference between the first pick and even the second pick in value is actually pretty huge. I mean, one is an exceptional opportunity, not to mention it's the, you know, the highest uh, allotted slot bonus figure. So you've got more money to play with. You have more leverage. It's also the highest profile right you covered this sport for a while you remember who went first more way more often you remember who went second there's way more scrutiny there's way we're talking about it a lot more um and i do think there is there is a big the the biggest reason i said that if cruz goes on i believe the nats would just take skeins um and and so do the people i talk to in the industry that if cruz doesn't go one then that's the one situation where I could see the Nats just saying, well, of course we're going to take Cruz. That's that's crazy. Um, because the one thing that I've always said about Mike Rizzo since he first took over at the Nationals is if you want to just wild guess who the Nats are going to take, who's the most famous player left on the board? Good player, obviously. Um, you know, eight, time, eight, nine times out of ten, you're going to be right. And in you know, Cruz would be that guy. And if Cruz is gone, yeah, it's probably Skeens. And Rizzo really loves hard-throwing college starters. When he picked first, they picked first since he became since he took over with the Nationals. They took a guy named Strasburg, 31-32 war, just, just off the mound since they took the guy. I know, it, obviously, the long-term contract didn't work out, but as a draft pick for first overall, that's a pretty good outcome. If you could say to whoever drafts Paul Skeens, you're going to get 30 war out of this guy uh, before, he, before he's done, essentially— Everyone's taking that. Every team is thrilled with that. And Skeens, as I've said many times now since I saw him in late April, that's the hardest throwing amateur starter I've ever seen personally. He hit 100 or better seven times, I think, in the first inning. He was sitting 100. Uh, He didn't throw a pitch under 96 the night I saw him. Uh, Scout texted me last night. Skeens hit 103. It was the stadium gun, so it could be a little hot. But still, this guy throws super hard. He is huge. Another thing Mike Rizzo and his group, by the way, I'm saying Rizzo, but that also includes his scouting staff. They love guys, pitchers who are really big and physical, built like sort of old school workhorse type body. I mean, Skeens is like Aaron Judge on the mound. He's six, I think he's listed at 6'6", 260. And he's only 21, right? He could still get bigger. And he's got a wipeout slider. There are things I think Skeens needs to work on, but again, you take a starter with this kind of track record, punching out half the batters he's faced, leading division one in strikeouts by 40 he's got something like 30 percent more strikeouts than anybody else in division one 
lots of great arguments to take him and fits everything that we know about Mike Rizzo, about his preferences and his drafting history. The way the position the Pirates are in, I think we've seen their definite preference to take uh, position players at the top of the draft. They've used some 20s and mid-teens picks on pitchers in not so recent uh, in, in recent years, but when the last time they had a pick uh, in this range where they took pitchers um, among the classes that have that have made it to the majors. Um, would have been the back-to-back when they took uh, Jamison Tyone and then Garrett Cole the next year. Garrett Cole was sort of the the rare year where it was all starting pitchers at the top of the draft. Um, yes. Rendon but, was hurt, for folks who don't remember. Anthony Rendon went into that spring as he's going to be the 1-1 guy, and then he had an unreported shoulder injury. But I saw him that spring, and I was like, this, this ain't right, because I'd seen him the previous two years, too. So I had a pretty good idea who he was. Um, I don't know how much you, you remember that particular year, but like his numbers weren't good. He didn't look right. And um, obviously it worked out fine. But at the time, I think we all sort of agreed Cole was the best guy in the class. In, a, in as you said, a really good class of college and high school starting pitchers. Right. And then the previous year when they took Tyone number two, uh, Bryce Harper was one and Manny Machado was three, which illustrates the the risk of taking a starting pitcher that high things can go wrong a lot more frequently uh with a pitcher even one in tyon who's been a solid starting pitcher in the majors but so much less production so many fewer days in the majors because of injury um not to say that that these these hitters at the top of the draft are, are going to be machado and harper but it illustrates that much safer bet less less risk and plenty of reward with going with a cruise um at one one so moving on a little bit i wanted to talk about um, the Twins picking number five. You have them currently taking Langford, which I think would be a total win at that spot. But you mentioned hearing that they're looking at Jacob Gonzalez, Jacob Wilson as well, and and don't really want a high schooler. Meaning, if Jenkins or Clark were the were that one top five guy available at five, they might go in a different direction. That would really set up well for for the A's at six, for the Reds at seven potentially, uh, to to really steal one of those top five. What what what's the reasoning uh, as far as you can figure it out uh, for the Twins? So this is, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I find out when I'm working on mock drafts and I'm talking to, you know, I talk to area guys, national guys, directors, VPs, et cetera. I, I ask everybody who, you know, might have information or in the past has, has shared information like this. And a lot of it's gossip, right? It's just rumor. And one of the rumors is the twins just really don't want to take a high school guy, whether it's that they see those guys as being higher risk or they just simply don't like the timeline, right? Even your best high school guys, three years from the majors, most likely. Like really rare for a guy to get there faster than that. Um, whereas your college guy, especially in this draft, you know, I think Cruz, I'd be really surprised if Cruz wasn't in the majors inside of 15 months. I don't think Langford's that far behind. And then the next group of high school, uh, sorry, of college position players is probably within two years, if all goes well. Um, you know, it's interesting that they're, the names I specifically heard them on were Jacob Gonzalez and Jacob Wilson. Put, put a pin in those names for one second. If you look at my own rankings, the next college player I have is actually Kyle Teal, who's the catcher at University of Virginia, who... You don't draft for need, but I mean, twins could certainly use a catcher. Everybody could use a catcher. And Teal has been, he would might have been a first rounder in 2020 if we hadn't had the pandemic. And he had a great freshman year. He had that sophomore slump I was just sort of alluding to, but he's been out of his mind this year at the plate. And he's a left-handed hitter. He's super athletic. He can really run. I think he catches very well. He's got a good arm. Like you would, if you said to me, well, they, you know, they'd rather take Kyle Teal than Clark or Jenkins, the two high school guys. 
Okay, not my personal preference, but I could defend that. Gonzalez and Wilson, what's interesting about those guys is they're big model guys, especially Wilson, who I think, I, I haven't checked in a, a little bit, but he struck out five times this whole spring. And I think it was seven times last spring. And for folks who don't know who he is, he's the shortstop at Grand Canyon University in Arizona. And his dad was Jack Wilson, who was a prospect for the Cardinals, traded to the Pirates, spent, I think, most of his major league career at the Pirates, bounced around a little bit. And he's like a taller version of his dad, but he's not very physical. He does not hit the ball hard at all. Um, he just doesn't whiff. And a lot of model-heavy teams really love those guys. They're chasing contact. I'm fine with chasing contact, but you got to hit the ball hard or you get Nick Madrigal. Um, or, you know, we're seeing this with Xavier Edwards too. I still have hopes we'll, we'll have some kind of major league career, but these guys who, you know, it looks like really good plate discipline and they don't swing and miss. If you don't make hard enough contact, you, it's hard to be, it's hard to just even hit major league pitching enough to, to have value, to be more than a bench piece. And Wilson in particular He's not very physical. He's, like I said, he looks just like a taller version of his dad. So I'm not looking at him and saying, he's going to put on 15 pounds and exit velocity will creep up. The contact quality will be there. And I've seen him the last two years too. And it's a lot of, you know, they call him soft serve hitters, soft serve to the second baseman, soft serve to the shortstop. Man, if you take that guy at five, I mean, I'd be disappointed if I were a Twins fan. They're so, they would be passing over a lot of talent. So I reported that and I put that rumor in there. Because because I heard it, and I think that the source on that is good. I think people are hearing that. We never know if that's actually true until you get to draft day. And sometimes even then we don't know, right? It's after the draft. It's like, oh, well, they, they, they didn't do any of that. So maybe they were thinking it, and it didn't come to pass. I, I thought it was really interesting because I do know the Twins are, are a, a model-heavy team. Um, you know, the flip side is last year they Brooks Lee kind of fell into their laps, and they, was like, they, were, they were just sort of like, please and thank you. And right now that looks amazing. Maybe they get a Lankford. Maybe, hey, I don't want to say they don't know what they're doing. They did great last year. I just I have a hard time with Wilson and Gonzalez at that pick. And I, I think that probably came through in the way I talked about it. Your updated stats on Grand Canyon's Jacob Wilson is uh, he's batting 423 with five strikeouts, 19 walks, 473 on base percentage. So we'll knock him for the lack of walks. But I think 19 to five still works walk to strikeout. He's, <laughs> he's like... I mean, he's actually kind of fun to watch, even though it's it's definitely not the type of player I personally love as when I'm evaluating amateurs. Um, but it's always really interesting to see a guy who's got that kind of bat-to-ball skill. And he will, like I said, he doesn't whiff, but it's less like he doesn't swing. It, what, did you see the Juan Soto quote from last night? I didn't swing at those pitches because they were balls. It's like, <laughs> that's great. Can I get like, I need like somebody to cross stitch that, right? So I can put it up on my office wall. Like, that's just so great. Um, you know, Wilson is, it, it's not, he doesn't hit like that, but he can foul a bunch of things off and, you know, to try to get something in the strike zone that he can just hit fair. Johnny Farmelo is, I think he's 30th on my mock and he's in my top 30 in my rankings. He hits a bit like that. And I saw him against a, Bryce Eldridge, who's a very good high school pitcher. And Farmelo against 91-93 was just foul, 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 foul. It was almost like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. Oh, okay, here's one I like. Whack. You know, Farmelo hits the ball a little harder. So I, I think there's more upside there. But Wilson is that sort of hitter, and it's always interesting to me because that's a pretty rare skill. I don't know how valuable it is, but it's pretty fun to watch a guy who's just like, I'm going to spoil five straight pitches, pitcher's pitches, and make you throw something I like. 
one other thing that could potentially open up some of this trickle down of these top five is it's not conceivable. It's not inconceivable that there's a path that winds up with someone other than Cruz at one because the Pirates decide to take more of a, a discount path to as they did two years ago, right? They took Henry Davis over yes. Marcelo Mayer, probably looks the other pick. Right now. Looks great right now. Uh, because Dave, Davis was a legit 1-1, and he was also coming at a, a discount comparatively. And so this would allow them to go over slot at 42, 67, 73. As you weigh the pros and cons, considering what this class shapes up to be like, where do you fall on that decision today if you're sitting at 1-1 for the Pirates? Yeah, so the the difference is there's there's two factors, and I want to pull up exactly where the picks they had while we uh, two years ago, because that's one of the big reasons. I mean, one of the one of the two differences is that year. You know, to me, I had Davis and Marcelo Mayer essentially one and one a. I think I ended up flipping them in my last mock, so I put Mayer just above Davis, but um, that was really more a nod to Mayer's upside. Also, that was a spring I didn't see as many players. Actually, we were still coming out of COVID. So I wanted to, you know, I was also not hedging my bets, but acknowledging, like, I saw Davis and I saw him amazing. I didn't see Mayer that spring. And so I didn't want to kind of underrate a guy just because I haven't seen him, which is a bias I'm always trying to work on in my own evaluations. But it was pretty clear from talking to the industry, Mayer was a pretty consensus 1-1. I have said in hindsight, Jordan Lawler probably should have been in that conversation. He ended up going sixth. Um, but he wasn't. He wasn't at all that spring that I can recall. If the Pirates were really seriously considering him at any point. I never heard it. Um, so it was easier for them to do something like that. And Davis, if Davis didn't go one, he was sliding maybe at least to five or further. So he was more willing to take a discount. I don't know that any of these guys is necessarily going to take enough of a discount at 1-1 to justify the Pirates not taking Cruz because they'll save something, right? If you take Max Clark, say, I don't think I don't think Clark is going to. So does he take slot at three at one, which might save them a million and a half or something in the end uh, versus what they would have to pay Cruz? Um, yeah, that might be enough. But the di- other difference from a couple of years ago was um, there was, I think, a little bit of a stronger high school crop that was going to be available to them. And they were able to, so they picked 37th, which is five spots higher, I think, than their second pick, and then 64 and 72. So it's actually not that dissimilar from the picks they have this year. But they were able to throw some money around. Won't discuss maybe how much they, you know, how exactly they did that. But they got Bubba Chandler, who was, I think, in everyone's first round in rankings. Mine, MLB, BA, Fangraphs, ESPN, all all of us agreed. Bubba Chandler was clearly one of the best high school pitching prospects in the entire class. And at the time was a little bit of a two-way guy. Um, they got him at their first pick in the third round, 72nd overall, with a $3 million bonus. That's a first-round bonus. And coming out of that draft, it was very easy to say, even if Henry Davis is not the best player in this draft class, by the way, he's been amazing in A this year, now that he's completely healthy. So maybe they did get one of the best players, at least. But as a basket of players they got they did fantastic Bubba Chandler has looked amazing so far this spring uh Salamedo has been a little more inconsistent but if you get him on his better starts he looks really good that's two high school pitchers who are both still healthy they're only 20 years old they are very much on target to be quality major league starters and Henry Davis should be up at some point this year he is destroying double a right now it was much easier even going into that draft to look at 
where the pirates picked, who the players are who are likely available, and who the other alternatives are, and say, I can see how they walk out of this with this basket of players that you feel like was worth it, was worth maybe not taking the absolute best guy at 1-1. It's a little harder for me to envision that this year um, because I think the high school position players are much better and the high school pitchers are fine, but not as good as that class two years ago. It might be harder to float some of those better high school names down to picks, what did, what did you say, like 70, 69 and 73 or something, where those next two picks are, even where their second round pick is. I think there's a big difference between picking 37th and picking 42nd because a bunch more teams get the second bite at the apple, so to speak, to sn- snag that guy before you get the pick. Like the fi- year the Phillies picked 1-1, took Moniac, saved some money. By the time they picked again, most of the guys they might have reasonably considered for overslot deals were already gone. And that pick has turned out to be a pretty huge disaster for the franchise. That that draft, I mean, not just that pick. Yeah, yeah. Wrapping up uh, mock talk here, is there a guy maybe who's currently sitting outside your top eight or nine that we've kind of touched on already that you see as maybe the most high-ceiling, high-risk, but also high-reward type player? That's a good question. Um I'm going to look here just to make sure I don't mistakenly cite somebody. So if you go to 11, 12, and even to some extent 13. So 11 Angels, I put Arjun Nimala, who is only 17. He won't turn 18 until November. Um, So models that factor in age are really going to juice this guy. Um, He's very high upside to me with some risk. There's definitely more swing and miss there. It's a great swing. He's For a guy who's still got plenty of room to fill out, he can really launch the ball. And he's a definite shortstop for me. Um, Colin Houck, I have going 12th to Arizona. High school shortstop from outside Atlanta. He's going to get comped a little bit to Brady House. He's not quite as big as House was, but both are football player, you know, very athletic, very physical, hit the ball hard, a lot of potential power. Shortstops, you might have to move off the position, both from outside of Atlanta. Um, Houck has definitely been one of the sort of hotter names in terms of where where I'm hearing his interest in the draft. Of course, I'm gesturing to Stephen. You guys can't see this, but sort of the, the set of teams that are interested in how it just keeps creeping up, creeping up, creeping up, and he might get into the top 10. And then Matt Shaw at Maryland, who I had going to the Cubs. I mean, I, I really think he's a top 10 player in this draft class, and I think the only thing that's killing him is that he plays short for the Terps, but he's very much not a shortstop. And if he just played second base all year, I think people would just not worry about the defense and look at the fact that he really hits and he hits it hard and he hits it. You know, he's got one of the best sort of typical launch angles of anybody in the class. That is an extremely safe bet to hit. And if you just look at him and say, we're just going to put him at second base and stop worrying about the the position, you're going to someone's going to get a really good player there at something of a discount just because of the positional silliness. Keith's Mock Draft 1.0 and a chat with readers are both on the site now. We're also going to put a link to the Mock Draft in the show description. If you want to check that out, I encourage you to read all of it. A ton of comments, probably one or two from your favorite team. And if you want to know if your team should take the best player available or a player you really <laughs> like and have seen on TV once, what's your what's your answer to that one? Yeah, take the best player available. Best player available always and forever. I actually have a tattoo on my upper left arm. Just no one can see it because I always have shirts on. You and every scout. Yeah, that's the it's a sort of like the Olympic rings. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So let's talk now about Bryce Miller. Uh, the Mariners, they lead all of the majors in a bunch of pitching categories. Whip, batting average against, OPS against, walks per nine, homers per nine. And Bryce Miller has been a big part of what's gone right. Fourth round pick in 2021. He jumped from double A to the majors, which is in vogue right now. That's the thing to do. Hey, Henry Davis. Um, he has currently a 1.15 ERA across five starts. It helps that three of those were against the A's and Tigers. But uh, also six, eh, kind of. Um that includes six scoreless against the Astros and six and a third of three run ball in Atlanta. So what do you make so far of Bryce expectations, reality, how much of this is, is good matchups and how much of this feels real to you? He's got, I would say the stuff is real for sure. Um, regardless of who you're facing, right? This is just how we tend to evaluate players. And he's got some real ride to the fastball, and the fastball is really playing exceptionally well, too. And that was kind of the hope was that, you know, he could really... It, I saw him twice in the minors. Uh, and you would see he had a full allotment of pitches, too. And the breaking stuff, you know, I think I walked away saying either the slider or the curveball could potentially be an out pitch for him what's been really impressive about what he's done so far is he's doing it largely with the fastball and the fastball is really playing i think the fastball is playing better than i had forecast i'd have to go back and see what i actually said about him but when a guy is doing this much having this much success missing bats with the fastball but also has other weapons it gives me a ton of hope for him to be able to continue to do this because obviously he's going to face better lineups and he's going to face teams multiple times and they're going to get more of a book on him and have more video. I mean, teams have data and video on minor leaguers, but it's definitely different, better when you have that data against major league opponents. He has other things he can fall back on. And that makes me feel really optimistic about him. And I, I have to give the Mariners scouting and player development a ton of credit. Miller was not very good in college. I think it was Texas Tech he came out of and he did not he just didn't throw a lot of strikes. Um, sorry, it was Texas A&M. My bad. Um, you know, that's a big state. All the same schools thing. are same the thing. same. Yeah. yeah, same thing. Totally the same thing. Um, and so he, you know, he wasn't very effective. His stuff was good, but he ended up in the fourth round because he just, like I said, he just wasn't that effective. He wasn't that valuable. He looked like he, you know, didn't have control, let alone command. And then within... God, that'd be about eight months of them getting him, of the Mariners drafting him. He was better. He was throwing more strikes. The stuff was ticking up. The delivery looked really good. And I mean, I remember seeing him in spring training of 2022 and sort of 
hell does this guy get to the fourth round? Which is funny because I saw him on the Dodgers backfield. And usually if you make a comment like that, you're talking about a Dodgers guy, right? Because the Dodgers devil magic, right? They could take some guy in the Nick Nostrini they took in the fourth round. It's like, this guy's got first round stuff. Why was he available in the fourth round? You look, oh, because he walked amongst a man in inning at UCLA. And the Dodgers just sprinkled some of their, you know, their devil magic, whatever, on him. Well, the Mariners apparently had some too. And what's really amazing to me about Miller is the stuff got better, cleaned up the delivery, and he's throwing way more strikes. And they're good strikes. Like this is a he is a classic scouting and and you know, their Mariners are a blend team too. They have scouts and they have analysts. And you put them together plus what they've done on the player development side, it's been really pretty impressive. Yeah, here it is. Miller, his junior year at Texas AM, walked thirty-seven guys in fifty-six innings. That's somewhere around 12-13%. So far in 2023, he walked three guys in 19.2 innings in double A, and he's walked three in 31 innings so far in the majors. So he's at like two point something percent in the big leagues. Like that's it's a pretty great story. It's not gonna stay at two point something percent forever, but I mean this guy's gained more than a full grade of command. And now you can actually talk about him. It's like, hey, it's a command and control guy with elite stuff. Like any any discussion we had of his ceiling might have actually been a little too low, a little too conservative. Even even if you look and say he's not gonna have a one ERA, right? He's gonna have a two eight. Oh, hey, that's pretty damn good for a fourth rounder. Yeah. The um <laughs> the three walks and thirty one innings. I guess to the point where pitchers will tell you, like, I don't actually want to have that few walks because I right. <laughs> guys guys know they're getting strikes and they're absolutely going to start teeing off, no regard no regardless of how good your stuff is. Um, but you know, there's going to be a lot of noise in the early numbers. But he's never had a ton of trouble with command of the minors, like you said. He immediately started showing improvement there. And the other thing that's jumped out to me is early in his major league career he's gotten a ton of balls in the air but not hit all that hard so he's not striking out a ton of people he's not giving any free passes but he also has like a 167 BABIP and no homers against so far so being playing the opponents they've played has helped playing a pitching in seattle helps yep. there's gonna and be some in Oakland, right yeah and there's gonna be some progression to the mean of course but just watching this guy if you've had a chance to turn on a a late mariners game the the stuff is real and I think the Mariners have have a real one here to add into a rotation that already has impressed a ton and improved a ton over the last year with the addition of Luis Castillo, the emergence of um, of George Kirby and Logan Gilbert. Um, they have something they have something real cooking. And uh, man, the way Bryce Miller has started is exactly what they they could have asked for. Yep, agreed. Kirby has. It's funny. I was just talking to a scout the other day who um, we were just talking about how great. Kirby has been and how his fastball is actually playing better than um, scouts and God, I saw him. I, 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 it's I, like, I know when this happens, right? This is a slight tangent, but I saw Kirby in his draft year. He was at Elon. He played at Towson. I mean, no, no offense to Towson. This isn't exactly LSU, right? He gave up, I think, 10 hits in four innings, and they were just all over his fastball. And even scouts I know who saw him in his last year in the minors in double-A were like, I think that fastball is going to end up playing down a little bit. He had great command and control, good delivery. The breaking ball was definitely real. So everybody liked him, but there were some concerns too. And so far, the fastball is actually playing, I would say, even a little bit up. It's certainly above everyone's expectations. And I'm not just saying this just because I saw 
one start where Towson happened to be on the fastball, but there were other reasons to question how exactly the fastball was going to play. And again, you know, give, give the kid credit and give the Mariners credit too. They're doing some really good things on the pitching side. He's also dropped about 10% usage of that fastball, which I think often so many times can help it play up. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. So let's move on now to some recent debuts and promotions. The big one, Bobby Miller uh, for the Dodgers held Atlanta to one run over five innings on Tuesday. Fastball average 99.4. That'll play at any level. Uh, five strikeouts and crucially only one walk. So he, he got some chase, significant chase, and that was more contact than whiff this time out. But I think either way, those are A, not going to turn into hard hit balls and B, going to turn into more strikeouts. Um, the Dodgers rotation today is is pretty thin. Julio Arias uh, on the injured list with a hamstring. Dustin May, he's going on uh, a much longer stay on the injured list. And that's that's opened the door for both Miller and Gavin Stone. So Miller is going to start uh, Monday against the Nationals. Much softer start there than debuting um, against Atlanta. You had him number three in the Dodger system before the season, number 20, 28 in the top 100. What do you What have you seen so far in his first start? What did you pull from that one? Yeah, I think you got a pretty good flavor for what Miller offers. He's a legit four-pitch guy. He will show you quite a bit of triple digits. Uh, the fastball doesn't miss a ton of bats despite its velocity. And I mean, I feel like we say that, right? We, we discuss this all the time, right? Velocity really isn't everything. I mean, I've seen college hitters turn on a hundred. Um, they can hit it if they have some idea that it's coming or if it doesn't move very much. And what, the reason Miller's so effective is that he's far more than just the fastball. And he really mixed all four pitches pretty well in that first start. And I think that that was part of it. And I think he's going to end up being one of those guys where, like you just mentioned with Kirby, where he sort of deprecates the the fastball a little bit, even with the velocity. So I'm going to use my other stuff. And then that sets up the fastball well. And Miller, too, the way that his breaking stuff versus his, the way his breaking stuff moves is very much the opposite. If you look at the clock dial, if you go to like the, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with baseball savant and how they discuss, you know, observed and spin-based movement. The fastball and the changeup, one way, the breaking stuff, the other way. And I think Miller has, will continue to improve as he learns more about working, especially in those two directions within, with those two categories of pitches, rather than just trying to rely on the fastball. Because when he's gotten into some trouble in the minors, it has been a little bit about just relying too much on the velocity. And like I said, double A hitters can do that. Everyone, it's crazy to think that, but God, I remember seeing Riley Pint in high school and some not very big high school kid on the other team took 98 and lined a single to the outfield. I'm like That's 98 miles an hour. And this is some 16 year old just hit that guys can hit fastballs. Uh, so you just, you can't live just by that pitch and Miller doesn't have to. And that's the thing I think if you want to take away the best positive from the start, as opposed to, you know, the line score was obviously good, but just, Hey, this guy's got three legit off-speed pitches. That's why I ranked him highly. That's why I think he's got a lot of upside. And I think the number one thing for him to work on, the Dodgers to work on with him, is making sure that he's using all four pitches pretty consistently and never giving hitters any chance to just try to sit on the velocity. The highest velo I ever faced in high school was, uh, I think, freshman year, we had a guy throwing maybe low to mid-80s, and that was crazy for me. 
and uh, he got two called strikes at the bottom of the zone I didn't even see. And he, th- he throws me an 0-2 knuckleball, and I hit a ground ball to third base. Oh, it was, God. It was, Thanks for putting play. It was a career highlight. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Truly one yeah. of those moments of don't don't give in to the hitter. Um, he's not ready for it. <laughs> um, so the, the key, I think, for Miller is going to be, because he's not someone who has premium command, um, he, he relies on getting a lot of chase, and he has the stuff to get a lot of chase. But if teams start to wait him out and get him into situations where runners are on base, he's been less effective with runners on base, it turns into a little bit of a different pitcher, um, more res- more restrained pitcher. Um, he's going to be able to figure, going to have to figure some of those things out. But those are problems you you mostly figure out how to navigate once you're at the major league level. And it looks like he'll have a at least an opportunity for an extended audition here, given the the openings in that Dodger rotation. And then hey, if he looks good, I don't think anyone's going to go to the mat too hard for Noah Syndergaard to stick around long term. You know. No, sorry, Thor, but yeah, no. People were like, oh, the Dodgers are going to get him to throw hard again. And, well, and yeah. Hey, Do- D- Devil Magic only gets you so far. That's right. <laughs> the strike serum. So Sam Bachman joining the Angels from AA Rocket City to debut. The surface numbers very rough uh, at AA. It's his second tour there. He was there last year but had a back injury that limited him quite a bit. And this year it's 5-8-1 ERA and six starts, almost two full runs higher than uh, then last year, the walk rate uh, was high last year and is like unsustainably high, 16.9% this year. Now, AA has the pre-tech balls that may be causing some problems, but also uh, this is a guy who has some back and shoulder injuries in the, in the background. Um, Going to pitch out of the bullpen, according to the athletic Sam Bloom. Shorter stints might help that, but uh, where, what do you foresee for, for Sam Bachman getting his first run with the Angels? So he was their first rounder two years ago. Like you said, he had a little bit of a shoulder hiccup in college, um, which there was, a, you know, it was threatening to push him well down into the first round. But the Angels um, said they were comfortable. He never had surgery or anything. He missed two starts. He came back. Uh, they, I think it was Miami of Ohio, right? They did a really nice job sort of easing him back in rather than just throwing him back to the Wolves and saying, oh, go throw 100 pitches, which a lot of college coaches will do. Um, and then it was, yeah, it was the back issue last year, so he didn't pitch that much. It is two at least sevens on the scouting report, right? His fastball is, he's hit, a hundred. I think in college he had 101 or 102. He's averaged 95 so far this year, which is fine. He doesn't need to throw 100, but he can. It's in there, and it is a wipeout slider. I mean, the fastball looks like it's going to play really well. There's some really good ride to it up, and the slider is very sharp downward break. It's missing a ton of bats. So far in this year in AA, he's actually almost evenly split between the fastball and the slider. Um, he's got a change up that he started to use a little bit more. He's going to have to, I think, continue to use that, continue to work on it. He barely used it in college because why would you? Obviously, he's going to need that in the big leagues. You brought up the really salient point, though, which is you know how much of this increased walk rate is the silly ball they're using in the Southern League. And trust me, I understand why Major League Baseball is trying some of these experiments, but... It is really screwing with, at the very least, player performance. You want worry, I worry that it's going to screw with some player development. I've brought this up before, but because they're using the automated strike zone in AAA, walk rates were up. I might be a week or so out of date on this, but they were up 15% in the International League and 20% in the Pacific Coast League. Um, you know, and it's the, all those pitches on the margins are getting a different call now. And so is that at the very least, it might be misleading us when looking at stat lines. And that's, you know, is the different baseball the reason Sam Bachman isn't throwing as many strikes? 
I, I don't know. It's tough to say without, you know, we have no control group here to look at. I'm very curious to see how he does just strike throwing the big leagues because I know this stuff's good. He's going to miss some bats no matter what. I hope he throws more strikes. I think he's pretty good when fully healthy, and he, he's got the potential to miss a lot of bats just right out of the chute, even if he doesn't have great command. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the nano experience a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Randy Vasquez, Yankees uh, pitching prospect, will debut and start Friday against the Padres. Uh, by the time you hear this, may have already happened. Not clear totally what his role will be. Could be opener, could be bulk reliever. Uh, but he's going to play uh, down the road. It looks like he could could end up being a back-end option for that rotation. The Yankees' rotation, trying to project it a couple years down the road, is, is truly a fool's errand. They uh, switch, thing, switch things up a lot. But he did start the season 12th in your preseason Yankees prospect rankings. Uh, tell us a little bit about Randy Vasquez. Vasquez is pretty interesting. He's a six-foot right-hander, a little bit of a lower slot, which often is something I don't like in prospects because it gives opposite side hitters such a good look at the ball. Um, but he does have a pretty good changeup. I think I said last year he's got an above-average changeup. And this year, after having a little bit of a platoon spit last year, he's reversed it this year. He's been pretty good against left-handed hitters, um, which is a very good thing, obviously, if they want him to be, whether they want him to be a bulk guy or even a spot starter. I think he's got the three pitches to do that. Uh, there's some effort in the delivery. He cuts himself off a little bit in his landing. There's things there that make me question whether he can get to average command and control. I don't think he has that right now. His uh, overall numbers in AAA are fine, not great. But as I said, the automated strike zone may be throwing off the walk rate a little bit. I even said I don't love how he does it, referring to the delivery. 
but I see a chance for 350, 55 pitches, about average to above average. And if he got just to average control, um, he, he could be just about anybody's fifth starter and not too far away from it. I do. I worry long-term about breakdown risk of a guy who pitches the way that he does mechanically. But in terms of right now, if the Yankees are just looking for you know, sort of six starter, swing man, bulk man, whatever you want to call that guy, he could probably do that. And the, the number one factor, honestly, the only thing I'm really worried about, so to speak, is um, does he throw enough strikes? And I just don't want to read too much into an elevated walk rate in AAA for the reasons we just talked about. Let's wrap things up with a little bit of Guardians talk. All the nice things I said about Mariners pitching, you can say equal and opposite about uh, about the, the Guardians lineup. Things are going extremely poorly. For a c- contact-heavy offense, they are getting not a whole lot of contact and, and very little of anything else offensively. And the catching situation is is dire. There was a, a bygone time when they were bidders for Sean Murphy. Uh, Maya, that would have been nice. Instead, they have Mike Zanino struggling badly. Cam Gallagher got through an 0 for 34 slump and uh, hasn't Aww. done really much since then. So there, there is an answer. There is uh, something, something bright on the horizon. Bo Naylor, he came up for a doubleheader, had two at bats, and uh, headed back down to, to AAA where he's batting. Yeah, what was that about? He's batting two, <laughs> 250 with an 874 OPS at uh, AAA Columbus. He is not a, he's not a perfect prospect, but it just seems he is considerably better than what they have they have currently on the major league roster so the three questions that come to mind are uh what huh and uh why yeah right i have all those questions right why is it there's even if you think Naylor has things he needs to continue to work on um which, which would be defensive stuff and uh, you know receiving working with pitchers etc there's no way he's worse than what they're rolling out there right now i mean they are getting God, I pulled it up. They are really getting nothing from behind the plate. Um, Make Zanino the backup. I mean, Cam Gallagher can really catch and throw, but you're right. He's 5 for 51 on the season. And it's not like he's got some history of hitting where you say, oh, he's going to get out of this. I think he, uh, you know, unfortunately, you just DFA him. You make Zanino the backup, and you call Bo Naylor up. And, you know, whether you want to have them split 4-3, you know, 4-2 every week, um, start working Naylor in. I think he makes them a better team, better offensively. He's a guy who's shown really good plate discipline, so I'm not worried about, you know, you know is the AAA walk rate somehow elevated? He hits the ball reasonably hard. He's going to get to, a little, I think, a little bit of power and maybe come into some more. They love the kid. And that's the other thing that I find really interesting. The Guardians have absolutely loved Naylor as a person, sort of as his, you know, ability to, you know, catching can require a lot on the mental side. And they have always, always been very adamant. And I know people who know him outside the Guardians organization who said, yeah, he's going to, he's going to be great. He's going to be able to handle all this. Great. Why, why is he in AAA when you're getting zilch out of the catching spot? I mean, they're getting zilch out of almost every spot. I don't love OPS as a stat. I mean, I really do kind of denigrate it all the time. But when you have one guy in your lineup with a 700 OPS, that seems like a problem. Yeah, that's not good. This is a lineup that can't afford to have a black hole, and catching is a huge black hole for them right now. Yeah. Yeah. One last I do qu- like Will Brennan. I was glad they brought Will Brennan up. He's not gotten off to a great start, but I, I, I hopefully they just let him play. I think there's there's more there. The silver lining right now for the Guardians is they've gotten some really good uh, production early from Logan Allen and Tanner Bybee, both sporting three-something ERAs. I wanted to look quickly at sort of the the near future of that rotation because 
you look at Allen, K rate's a little bit down compared to Miners, but uh, Homer and walk rates are also down. It feels like the peripherals are maybe going to catch up to him eventually, but still, great start for him. Bybee, he's completely extinguished hard contact. Uh, he's a high guy I'm personally higher on in the long run, but um, he's just, he, he has the stuff that's working. But then there's a third, and that's what I want to ask you about. Gavin Williams still at AAA. He's going to turn 24 this summer. He's been pretty dominant, double A AA and triple A this season, except for one start when he uh, didn't make it out of the fourth inning, but still was two runs. It's just a lot of a lot of traffic. Is there a case for bringing up a Williams uh, earlier, you know, sooner than later this summer? Uh, they have with an injury, maybe, or Quantrill or Hunter Gaddis. They decide that there's not the answer in the long run. Or do you favor not rushing it? Use the two two rookies that have gone well so far for you, and, and leave Gal- Gavin Williams to season a little bit longer at triple A. I would say the decision on when to promote Gavin Williams ideally is about Gavin Williams rather than about the needs of the big league club. If you have that luxury, and I feel like they probably do have that luxury, where and there is one, to me, legitimate reason to wait a little bit on Williams, which is that he... You know, Williams and Bibby, I saw them both last year in the same series, and it was an interesting contrast where Bibby would show you you know, and a wipeout, wipeout changeup, and pretty good breaking stuff. And the fastball would might have been the weakest part of his arsenal. Not that it was bad because he threw very hard, but he wasn't going to miss a ton of bats with that. Williams is the opposite. Williams works heavily off the fastball. It's got a huge ride up top. He missed a lot of bats with it, and it makes the slider more effective, where the slider is pretty good, but hitters are looking for that fastball up, and then you drop the slider, and they don't adjust. But he's had trouble with lefties last year and a little bit of trouble with lefties this year. He really doesn't have a changeup. He, he, he has one. He barely throws it. It's not that good. And to me, that would be the one thing I would say, the one real Gavin Williams-centered reason not to bring Gavin Williams up to the big leagues is we need to be sure, whether it's using the changeup more, improving the changeup, trying another pitch, it's any of these things, you can't bring a guy like that up just to let him get bombed. By lefties. I mean, Nick Lodolo's, you know, I know he's hurt now, but his big problem this year, he hasn't been able to get right-handers out. It was a little bit of a problem last year, and that has really caught up to him. Ken Waldachuk with the A's has had similar platoon issues. Like guys who have you know, even modestly wide platoon splits are really going to struggle to start. It's one of the easiest things for opposing hitters to do, is uh, opposing managers to do, is just going to stack my lineup with guys on the opposite side of the plate and See what happens. Like an easy competitive advantage. And that's my only worry with Williams. I really like him. I think he's got a chance to be a number two, number three starter. But they're going to have to figure something out. And there's lots of ways they can go. The easiest way is just you, you got to throw your change up more. And if it's not working, we're going to try to change something about that pitch. But so far this year, uh, just looking at some limited pitch data here, he's not throwing it very much. And that's probably why he's still having, relatively speaking, some trouble with lefties yeah <clears throat> the truthfully the problem hasn't been the rotation so i don't think they need to rush yeah. a move like this as as good as his numbers have been in the minors if they're going to reach the playoffs again this season it's because the lineup figures things out and some of these yeah. hitters start doing what they did a year ago um but it is sort of a um yeah something to to, to look for uh in the near future here they could have a, a pretty interesting rotation come the end of the season if, if williams is part of it you know i'd really like to see them call Brian Rocchio back up too. Cause last I looked, he was, yeah, he's doing really well in AAA and he's 
really talented and I'm, you know, he can play multiple positions. He's a switch hitter. He really gets on base. He's a high contact guy, which we know Cleveland really loves. There's not really a good reason not to have him up somewhere in the majors. I understand they've got sort of somewhat established players at like in the middle infield, but Rocchio's an improvement. Move guys around, put someone on the bench. If, if Ahmed Rosario isn't going to hit better than this, he doesn't get to play every day. And I say that as somebody who was a big advocate of Rosario way back when he was a teenage prospect. If it's not working out, it's not working out. We are going to go. You can subscribe to The Athletic for $2 per month for the first year at theathletic.com slash baseball show. Find Keith on all the socials at Keith Law. You can find me at Stephen J. Nesbitt. Have a great long weekend. Mm-hmm.